from KQED. Hey everyone, I'm Emmanuel. I'm Jamidra. And we're two of the hosts of The The Cooler, Cooler, your weekly dose of pop culture commentary. You might be wondering where Carly is. She's in D.C. because she's really important. Mm -hmm. But she'll be back next week. And this week, we are fortunate enough to have (laughs) Anne Friedman in the studio. Her name probably sounds familiar because she does approximately 1,001 things, Mm -hmm. I think is the direct number. Yeah. Like her New York Magazine column about gender politics and culture, her freelance work for publications like The New Yorker and The New York Times, her weekly newsletter, her pie charts, and her hugely successful podcast, Call Your Girlfriend, which she co-hosts with magical human being. I mean, not too so. Who's been on this show before? Did did like fairy dust just fall from the sky when? When you said I think of her, sparkles being? in my eyes. Yeah. Damn. Somehow, between doing all of this stuff, Anne has found time to hang with us today. Welcome mm-hmm. to the cooler, Anne. Hi. Thanks for having and me. And she looks fabulous, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I live in LA, where normally the weather range is a little different than in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And I'm wearing, like, a raincoat I never wear, et cetera. I'm very happy to, like, be, like, flexing a different corner of my yes. wardrobe. Mm-hmm. And she's flexing the bright lipstick right now, which is a fan. I'm a fan of bright lipstick, so. Always. The bold yeah. lip. Yes. You can wear, like, jeans and a sweatshirt. If you have a bold lip, it's like, she put it together. Okay. She's doing something today. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, with San Francisco fashion, I feel like I'm a Russian doll at all times. So it's, like, cool sweater, cool T-shirt underneath. Mm-hmm. Maybe even a cardigan. Mm. You know, spice it up. Yes. There are levels to this. Levels. Yes. So I want to start by pointing out that this is Women's History Month. Indeed. Yes. And we recently just celebrated Women's History Day. Yes, International Women's Day. Yes, International Women's Mm -hmm. Day. Are you aware that a lot of men were sort of in a bit of a kerfuffle yesterday? As they always are. (laughs) I mean, I was traveling yesterday, and so I was under-interneted. You know, I was not paying as much attention as I normally would. But, yeah, I mean, of course, of course they are. Of course they are. When's International Men's Day? Right, right. When's White History Month? When's, you know what I mean? It's like, it's the same category. I'm just like, it's so boring. I can't even, I can't even listen. So that was my first question to you. True or false, is there an International Men's Day? I mean, I have to say true because someone on Reddit must have created it, right? <laughs> like, so, even Accurate. Probably not widely recognized, but definitely in existence would be my guess. Okay. Uh, International Men's Day is actually November 19th. Okay, then. It exists. Okay. <laughs> Great. Just in time for Thanksgiving. We give thanks for all the men that have been born in yeah, the history of the exactly. world. Exactly. And I won't go into all the details, but I'll just read like a little bit of highlight. Basically, the objective of International Men's Day is to focus on the contributions of men um, <laughs> and also highlighting discrimination against them. So, I mean, <laughs> I'm a firm believer in the kind of like patriarchy hurts men too line of thinking. Right. But like anyone who has ever read an out of date history textbook, which like I don't know where you guys went to elementary school, but yeah. mine were definitely decades out of date. You do not really need too many sources of other information about men's achievements. Oh, yeah. We should just set aside a day to celebrate their accomplishments. Apparently <laughs> they, they need that. They, they sorely need that. So did you do anything special to celebrate? 
to celebrate International Women's Day or International Men's Day? Oh. <laughs> Women's. Oh, we, can, we can do a whole thing to celebrate it. <laughs> you know, it's it's hard for me, like, like commemorative days. And maybe yeah. this is my, like, I have, like, an anti-Hallmark, anti... I'm not into, like, Valentine's uh, Day or, like... Yeah. You know, part of me is, like, every day is International Women's Day for me. Hell yeah. And, you know, and I know that that um, sort of downplays the point, which is it's a day mm-hmm. where we recognize voices we don't normally hear from and narratives yeah. that don't normally get surfaced. I think it's important. I think it's great. And had I been on the internet yesterday... Yesterday, rather than traveling, I probably would have posted something. Like, I'll give you a tweet. I'll no, give for you a sure. Yeah. I mean, and I love seeing other people, but you know, like sometimes you're just like, you know what? Like this is an inconvenient day for me to celebrate women internationally. Yeah. Like I'm gonna. Why do, do I only need to have one day? It's like true. Yeah, and I'm I like, you know it. what? For maybe people who don't celebrate all the time, like I celebrate frequently. People who don't celebrate all the time, great. Today's a good reminder for you. But mm-hmm. it's almost like. This is going to sound terrible, but, like, it's not for me. Like, it's not, like, a day. In the same way, I'm, like, you know, like, my friends who are black don't need Black History Month in the same way that, like, my friends who are, like, not black probably need it. Mm-hmm. Or, like, I don't know. I think of it as a day for, for people who are not normally conscious of the contributions of a certain population. So, I like, get it. get with it's it. It's like, I feel like a bad black person when people ask me what I did for Black History Month. Yeah. And I'm like, I was black? Yeah. And I was like, That's enough. I was living. <laughs> totally. I was making history every day of Black History Month. Yes. That's that's what I was doing. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I kind of feel like that same. Yeah, it's an entry point. And it's interesting, even in meetings here where they're like, Pride's coming up or like Gay History Month is coming up. What are we going to do? And then we have to and they look jam. At you. They're like, yeah, and they look at me and they're like, what are your ideas? And it's again like, well, I'm currently being gay. But also just like jam packing all of the content about some type of group in one month or one day seems like not the way to go. But it is good that it's an entry point for some people who need that reminder of, hey, women are full human beings. So are black people and gay people, too. Yeah. I mean, I, I sort of think it's a similar conversation to the one about websites and publications that are specifically targeted toward gay readers or like readers of color or women readers. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I write for like women's internet <laughs> um, for sure. So I'm not saying it's all bad, but it's like it's kind of the same thing, right? Like, is this sort of containing something that needs to be part of every day and part of the mainstream mm-hmm. Or is it helping to amplify and, like, helping the people who identify that way, like, talk to each other in a way that's more real? And I think the answer is probably both. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, like, how I feel about commemorative days, months, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So when I think of Anne Friedman, I think of Shine Theory. That's so great. <laughs> I'm really happy. It's a good thing to be known for. But for those who aren't lucky enough to be disciples already, mm-hmm. can you please describe what this theory is? Sure. So I think for millennia, a long time, Mm -hmm. women have been taught to compete against each other for a perceived or actual limited number of spots at the table or like positions or I think it's something that applies to a lot of people who have found themselves tokenized or excluded from mainstream paths of power. And so it's created this whole thing where even like on the subconscious level, you meet another woman sometimes and you're like, you are incredible. I'm so intimidated. You got the right lipstick. You just made the funniest joke, you know, whatever it is. And the default emotion or temptation is to say, you're my competition. Like, I want the spot that you have. And I think shine theory is a way of reframing that to say, oh, my God, what if we join forces and then there are two of us mm-hmm. <laughs> together? Think of all the stuff that we could make if we are not trying to, like, compete for a perceived one spot at the top mm-hmm. or one role that we both want. So shine theory is, like, recognizing that feeling, acknowledging that it probably comes from a historically bad place yeah. and turning it on its head and saying, you know what, like, we're going to be a unit. Like, we're going to be 
in partnership to help each other do the things we want to do individually and together. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it means that you should only seek out powerful women to befriend. When I wrote about this first, the columnist Hannah Rosen at Slate wrote a critique where she was like, it's wrong to choose your friends based on how powerful they seem, which is not what I'm saying. I didn't Um, get that from what you just broke down. I mean, you know, reading comprehension. (laughs) (laughs) Love you, Hannah. Seriously. back to those textbooks. I know. I know. Exactly. Yeah. But I do think that this idea of not shying away from like a woman who you might perceive to be a better or best version of yourself Mm. um, because... You know, so often we can recognize in other people what's great about them, and we have a harder time doing that in ourselves. Right. I don't know. That was a long, rambly answer, but it basically means joining forces and shine together. Yes. Shining together and amplifying each other's shine. Is there a hashtag already? No, I think in hashtags. Shine, shine together. together. Mm. Hashtag Care Bears. <laughs> yes. Hashtag Care Bears there. Um, so it's certainly aspirational. I hope to get to the shinedom eventually. <laughs> but they're already there. We're on, we both have podcasts, and I'm a guest on your podcast. You're Hell shining. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we're shining right the now. You're shining right happening. now. But, You're not like that. There are competition. Right. Yeah. But every now and then, there is this like little bugaboo called jealousy that does mm. crop up. And I was wondering how you deal with it when it does come up and just, you know, negating it and neutralizing it. I mean, this is going to sound so like hippie dippy meditation retreat whatever Bring it. i live in berkeley honey <laughs> I, and mean, I, I used to me <laughs> i went to yoga all. training so we're both ready <laughs> you know th- this this whole like meditative idea almost of recognizing a feeling like it's there i'm going to acknowledge that i'm feeling this jealousy mm-hmm. and i mean i i do think it's related to shine theory where i can say Am I jealous of this person because I think that they fill a spot where only one of us can fill? You know, like we did a Call Your Girlfriend event with the journalist Rebecca Traster, whose work I have long admired. She's also a regular contributor to New York Magazine, where I write. We write on a lot of the same topics. She's also a straight white lady. You know, Mm -hmm. like demographically, we're similar. She has a few years on me, but it's hard. I like sometimes I read her work and I'm like, damn, I wish I had written that. Like, <laughs> yeah, oh, she wrote the thing. Like, I know you know, feeling. yeah. And it's like in realizing that, like, there is no the thing to be written. I'm jealous of lots of people, like not just <laughs> not just Rebecca. But I have to remind myself that, like, the work we do is ultimately complementary. We are different, even though <laughs> demographically it might seem we are real similar. Like we have differences in perspective and approach. And just because she wrote this incredible book, article, whatever, gave a great interview. You know, she Mm -hmm. gave a great answer at our live event to a question where I was just like, wow, so in awe. Doesn't mean that I don't have something to offer and doesn't mean that like, you know, she gave an answer that only she could give. So I definitely recognize it and I feel it. And I try to, instead of thinking like, why does this person have something I want? Or why did this person do something I wish I had done? I think about what what do I want to make now? Or I don't know. I try mm-hmm. to channel it in a direction that is more about my own creativity or opinions or work. I had this yoga teacher, Emily Stone, and she talked a little bit about what you were saying about the hippie feeling of you recognize what it is and you let it pass. And the way she said it, which will always stick with me, is your mind is a conveyor belt and there are a bunch of thoughts on it that pass by. And your only obligation is to, like, recognize as they pass by. You don't have to hump the conveyor belt. Yes. Don't hump the conveyor belt. Yes. So when, <laughs> when envy is on the table, like, keep the humping to yourself. Save it for your boo. Yeah. 
And it can be useful, too. It can be useful to say, like, okay, like, what am I really jealous of here? Is it that mm-hmm. she put in five years of work on a book and maybe I should shut up and put in five years of work on a project and then I would feel a similar sense of accomplishment? You know, like trying to dial it back from just I want the result and start sort of look at, like, okay, like, what did she do to get mm-hmm. here? Or what did this person I'm jealous of, like, really put in? And think about how do you want to invest that same amount in your own Right. And you yeah. might find like you don't even want to write a book. Oh my god! And you're like, and then but you're like, I'm mad because she wrote a book, and yeah. I don't even want to write a book. And then you, it's real easy to let it slide on the yeah. conveyor belt at that point because, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So just evaluating your own emotions. So I will try that because there have been plenty of times when I'm like, I want to write a post about X, Y, and Z, and I'll read someone else's post, and I'm like, well, let me just pack it on up. <laughs> you know, though, I have to say, I have to say that my perspective on that has really changed too. Like when I was an editor, I would sort of say, oh, someone's already written something with a thesis that's too close to that. We can't assign mm-hmm. it or I you know I don't want to write that and now I and maybe it's because I'm on the other side of things and I'm a freelance writer but I certainly have a perspective of different articles find people in different ways at different points in time different voices can make all the difference and even if you're making a similar argument sometimes it is writing that post anyway right. you know acknowledging like I saw someone say something similar but I would lay all of my meager savings on the table <laughs> to bet that you would say it differently than the post that you did read. So I don't know. I think that there's room for a lot, especially on the Internet. <laughs> it's back full circle, right? You just said that there's more than one slot. Mm, it's true. Right? It's true. And I will quote an Anne Friedman quote <laughs> to you, Jamidra. Here's some advice. I'm drinking. <laughs> Make awesome stuff now. Don't wait your turn. Hello. Boop, boop. boop. Yeah. Thanks for that quote. Mm. Yeah, it's true. Just write it anyway. So since we're talking about feminism, let's talk about feminism. Because we said we talked about it a little earlier. Earlier in the podcast, I think it was like episode two. It might have been episode five. But well, we we were drinking heavily during that time. Sure. Um, We talked a little bit about feminism and we had a quiz in which Emmanuel like whipped up some quotes and we had to like map the quote to To the celebrity. The celebrity. And I was really shocked. And so I kind of wanted to get your perspective because you are so vocal about it. Why do you think so many women want to be separated from the particular word feminist? Well, I think it can be for different reasons, as many different reasons as there are women who want to distance themselves. For a long time, when this question was asked of particularly young celebrity women, it was a trap because if you say, yes, I'm a feminist, then they can sort of paint you as like some Mm. kind of militant radical. You know, you're in a sense on fire. Yeah. Branding yourself or like, you know, you probably feel like you're limiting your own career options in a way if Mm -hmm. you do that. And then if you disavow it, like there's maybe another set of questions like, oh, you know, like she's not smart or political or she doesn't care. about. You can't even answer the word correctly, or at least there was a time. Yeah, I question correctly. I think that's true. And I think a lot about your ability to claim the term feminism and identify with it has a lot to do with how much power and privilege you have, Mm -hmm. both kind of like historically within the feminist movement, like I am demographically similar to a lot of the women who have been prominently identified as feminists in the past, by no means like the most important or whatever. But Mm -hmm. like, I always understand when like women of color I know are like, I don't really feel a lot of affinity with that term. It's something that like women who I know and love who care very much about equality and empowerment and advancement. They don't identify with it. It never occurred to me to mm-hmm. identify with it, which is, again, like a, a different set of criteria than maybe the, that young celebrity who was asked right. um, has to sort through. For me, I definitely did not grow up calling myself a feminist. I have very conservative family. I grew up in a conservative place. I had no first person role models for using the term, even though 
when I look at my interests, like the things that I mm-hmm. thought about the world. I mean, I was definitely a baby feminist as a baby. But, <laughs> making. Exactly. But, you know, like, and, and I think I went through a phase early when I started calling myself a feminist where I felt really judgy about women who didn't want to embrace the term. Mm. I was sort of like, you don't know what it means. That just means you're stupid. Like, (laughs) you know, I mean, maybe I didn't say that out loud, but I felt that way. Those are the feelings that were coming up. Yeah. And now I think I'm much more interested in your point of view about like changing the world actively for good and like how you want to live the beliefs that you do have and less interested in the label that you put on it. And maybe that's just like me getting old and soft or whatever. But I think it actually has more to do with me becoming close to a wider variety of women and how mm-hmm. and learning how they came to their feminism and men. And then also, like I said, observing certain things like the way celebrity women are treated, no matter how they answer that question. You made a really good point, though, because I, as like a black woman growing up in Oakland, the word feminist was not tossed around. Mm-hmm. But like my grandmother, my mother, all the women around me were clearly feminists in their actions. Right. Yeah. But they weren't walking around and calling themselves feminists. And in fact, some of them probably would have disavowed or like separated themselves from the label. And, and and you know what? Like, I, I don't want to be a part of a movement that can't recognize the lived beliefs of women, like the women in your family, mm-hmm. just because they don't use a label. Like, I sort of, I hate the idea that you would have to use the label to be a part of this bigger project we're all engaged in for, right. like, you know, for gender and social justice. Oh, she's not a feminist. She's out. Yeah, she's out. right? Like, <laughs> we don't need you. Bye, thanks. <laughs> Speaking of how feminism is progressing in our culture and in some ways regressing, unfortunately, (laughs) I was wondering what your take on how Hillary Clinton has been treated this political cycle and what that says about gender politics in America right now. Oh, Hillary is so tough. (laughs) So the reason why Hillary is so tough is because she's essentially a demographic category of one. You know, like Mm -hmm. she's really such an outlier when we look at Women politicians at, like, lower levels of office, different set of, like, problems they're up against, stereotypes they're up against, you know, which is not to say that there isn't gender-related stuff that's wrapped up in how we all feel about Hillary, whether Mm -hmm. you call yourself a feminist or not, or whether you don't want to see women in power or not. It feels different than 2008 to me. So 2008 was the first election that I was gainfully employed as a journalist during. It was like the first time I I was writing about politics regularly through a campaign cycle. And I do think that it felt different because... I don't know, something about having Obama in the race and it was like everything was like this is a race and gender conversation or like, I don't know, like it was sort of, you know, everyone was like, it's the identity election as if elections that feature only white (laughs) men are not identity elections. Right. And so now with, you know, we're essentially talking about Hillary, a white woman and a a bunch of white men Mm -hmm. who are about the same age. It sort of gets a little bit more distilled into sort of saying, okay, this is only a gender election. What does it mean if people like you know, support Bernie Sanders over Hillary? Does that mean that they don't actually care about seeing a woman president elected? Which I don't believe about a lot of Bernie Sanders supporters, honestly. But it's always tough for me because um, I wrote an article in 2012, which was this sort of lull between Hillary's periods as an active candidate where she got really internet cool. <laughs> you oh, know, I the Blackberry, right? I remember exactly. the, Blackberry the text from thing, Hillary yeah. era. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and I interviewed pollsters and kind of like looked at like her public approval history. Mm-hmm. And the truth is she's much better liked when she's not running for office. And there is an interpretation of that that says people don't like ambitious women. Therefore, people don't like Hillary when she's running. Mm-hmm. 
I think that there's some credence to that Mm -hmm. on, on like a real deep level. But there's another part of it, and this is where I sort of fit in, where you're like, oh, I definitely want to see a woman be president. I love Hillary as a public figure. But when it comes down to all of the different criteria that you apply it, when you vote for a president, Mm -hmm. you're like, maybe she isn't the best fit. Like, I don't know. Like, and I don't have an easy answer of what do you do with that? And when I look at my own, I mean, and I wrote about this in the article, my own feelings about her change, you know, with public opinion polling, which I never would have expected. I was always like, oh, I'm like, I'm like above it. You know, I'm like not. (laughs) You like parallel your opinions next to the polls. Right. But I think that there's a lot behind that. That's like, maybe it is she's a woman gun for power, but also maybe it's we apply a different set of criteria when someone wants to be president and they have a complicated political history in the same way right. I would feel about a male candidate um, and do. So I don't know. <laughs> I'm with you on that. My opinion about her and whether she should be president changes every day. Mm-hmm. And I had this interesting conversation with a friend where on this particular day, I was like, Hillary is the one. Love you, Bernie, but it's her time, blah, blah, blah. And I was saying things. And my friend called me on it and said, it sounds like you're heavily invested in her personal narrative and also Mm -hmm. the implications of her being a woman and succeeding this far. And there's just one more step and it would like, you know, blow the glass ceiling apart and your politics seem to be more with someone else. So why is that? And every day I like question it. Every time a state turns either Hillary or Bernie, I'm like, oh, I'm not sure how I feel or what I want to happen. And now I'm just, I want whoever wins to win so that we can focus on the general election and that's it. I mean, the answer is I'm confused. We're all confused. We're so confused. (laughs) Do you think as a journalist that the way that she's being covered is different than she was covered in 2008? Yes, but I think it has a lot to do with the people who she's being covered in relation to Mm -hmm. and in opposition to. I certainly think that's true. I also think that her campaign is a little bit different than it was in 2008. Mm -hmm. I mean, you don't have Bill in South Carolina saying, like, blatantly racist things this time around. You know what I mean? Like, we learned from that. So we won't won't be doing that again. I mean, clearly. But, you know, I mean, a lot of the debate about Hillary comes down to, and I've heard it argued on every single side, how do you feel about the choices that she made when she was not the one ultimately in power, when she was in a supportive position? Exactly, yeah. Yeah. And in when she was in transition from that right. period to being her own politician. And I change my mind about it every day. Yeah, back and forth. So we're all a little bi-curious this election cycle. <laughs> yeah. We can't decide. We're, you know, we're just questioning. We're, we're questioning. We'll get there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I cannot let this moment pass because it's sort of been pinging around in my head without talking about another powerful woman right now. I don't know if you would call her famous or infamous, but um, Kim Kardashian. Oh, my God. <laughs> I would call her famous. I would call her famous. Yeah. I think for me, the reason why I'm asking the question is because it's something that I grapple with myself. In this era of feminism, when we as women are like, we can do what we want to do. We can be who we want to be. We are the masters of our own bodies. Why is there such emotion behind what Kim Kardashian does? Like when she chooses to tweet or like Instagram a naked photo of herself, it just sort of like drives this level of conversation. And I'm just wondering, like as feminists and as women who believe in the ability for women to do what they want, especially with their bodies, why does it cause such a reaction? There's obviously a tension in feminism, which is like we don't want women to be judged by their physicality. Mm -hmm. We want them to be able to control it completely. But... What happens when a woman controls her body and physicality completely and sort of 
plays into some really traditional expectations mm. and gains power that way. You know, that power isn't any less real. Like she's you know, masterful. At absolutely. It. She's like she's pretty masterful. <laughs> Yeah. And actually, I was just looking. I think it was Amber Rose totally, totally um, snapped back at someone who was like... We were talking mm-hmm. about that upstairs yes, right yes. now. Who was judging her for like pink. Being, it was pink. Yes. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I was like someone who's not that Via relevant Instagram. <laughs> Sorry, pink. Yeah. Um, I'm with you on that as well. Yeah. So, no, I seriously was like, I cannot remember who I have like pink face blindness. Um <laughs> But her response was, we can talk about it now. And she was just like, what's the problem with me as, like, a powerful woman who's making my own decisions, who is a mother and, like, whatever. Mm-hmm. All of her criteria for saying, like, people whose bodies have traditionally been controlled, me making choices about how I want to use it and controlling it myself. I'm tempted to say that maybe it's because we are sort of in a transition phase mm-hmm. where women have gotten more control about the way they're portrayed and the ways in which they are compensated (laughs) for how they portray themselves. But a lot of those old norms and like those old ideas about what makes women valuable are still they still pop up are still there. Right. And so there's a temptation to kind of say, okay, well, like if I'm a woman who wants to accrue some power for myself, a.k.a. money, which like is power. Don't Mm -hmm. don't get it wrong. Yeah. Like that's exactly talking about kale here. I need to look at the resources I have and figure out and look at, like, the landscape out there and what gains attention and money mm-hmm. and, like, leverage that. You know, when you have that, those friends and you're like, I wouldn't make that decision, but, like, it's working for you. Right. Like, on, a, on the, the most superficial level, like, what did you choose to wear today or whatever, mm-hmm. to a life choice where you're like, oh, you're with this person who I thought was a total idiot, but, like, it's working out for you're you. Like, I wouldn't do that, but it's your life. Right. Yeah. And, I, and that's kind of the – I do get really angry when – those choices are sort of used to talk about, like, their intelligence, for example. Mm-hmm. The, there's a notion of because you're accruing power in some way because of the way your body looks, you're not smart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think that's just like, wow, the opposite is true. And I feel that way about a lot of, you know, feminist adjacent debates, like about sex work or about, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's all kind of on a continuum of women making smart choices to do what they have to do to accrue power in the now, not right. in some, like, future utopia. So I don't know. I have a ton of respect for Kim. Wouldn't make the choices she's making, but also not as rich as she is. I know, right? <laughs> so, so I feel about that. I think it's interesting you're talking about these old ideas pop up because I think some of the things that frustrate me is that I've heard it said, well, why is she still being naked when she's married to Kanye now? Or like, and it's, you know, or what? a man owns that body. Yeah. Why is she showing it Or up? today, uh, Aisha Curry is trending on Twitter because people were like, Aisha Curry would never do that. And Aisha oh Curry is someone at home like, I'm not even involved. Like, why am I even, you know? But those old ideas never die. They will soon. Okay. <laughs> Hopefully this episode so will help. With yeah, that. this episode will slay them completely. <laughs> this, is yeah. this, is the, this is the turning point. We'll be like, wow, before that episode aired, can you believe what mm-hmm. women had to do? It was the turning point. <laughs> <laughs> that cooler. So one of my KQD Pop freelancers, her name's Jessie Sposato, recently wrote a post titled, Why You and Your Long Distance Besties Need to Start a Book Club. And she mentioned Call Your Girlfriend, obviously, and cited it as an inspiration to start something where they process art together to sustain their friendship. And so that leads me to a question from our invisible co-host, Carly, who's in (laughs) D.C. somewhere. Take it away, Carly. Hello, Anne. In homage to you and Aminatu, I am actually recording this in a closet in a hotel whilst drinking a glass of red wine. What female writer would you recommend every person goes and reads right now? That's so hard. (laughs) She put you in the hot seat. That's so hard because I... Okay. There is no possible way for me to be like, this is the person that's going to connect. I mean... 
Anne Friedman. I mean, no, that's not the answer. <laughs> that is not the answer. So it would have to be someone prolific who mm-hmm. is – so I, I do think that books have changed the way I feel about the world for sure. However, there is something about the static nature of a book where like you read it and you bring a lot to it, but a lot of that's going to depend on the person. Mm-hmm. And, and so I'm going to recommend someone who is prolific and like creating in the now who is Roxanne Gay. Yes. I mean, I'm sort of interpreting this question to be because I can only recommend one person. You read everything this woman has ever produced (laughs) Mm -hmm. and you keep up constantly. And I really do think that if you if you check in constantly with what that woman is producing, you will gain an incredible amount of self-knowledge, the kind of like prompts and personally revelatory aspects to her writing, Mm -hmm. I think, can inspire that in people who are reading. She also writes fiction. So this idea of getting, you know, maybe a more creative or freewheeling fix is there. You know, she responds to current events in this way that is a voice that I find often lacking from, like, the headline. I mean, that's not true. She writes for The New York Times now, so I cannot say that she's Mm. not mainstream. She is. But a vital voice for responding to a lot of things that I think are important and happening right now. And I don't know. I think it's really important to read your contemporaries. I think that Mm. maybe I say that because I never really connected with, like, the feminist canon. (laughs) Um, I've sort of, like, bits and pieces of it I've found later retroactively. But the, the people, the writers who have really changed how I feel about the world are people who are writing and making work now. And so, Roxanne Gay. Okay. There you go. So speaking of Kim Kardashian, we know that Aminatu has tried to school you on all things Kardashian. Mm -hmm. So I created a little quiz. Oh, no. She's (laughs) going to be so mad when I fail. Are you listening, Aminatu? And the prize is, because we're NPR, a tote bag. (laughs) So this is what's on the line. Okay. very important. Question number one. Please name the Kardashian Jenners in birth order. Sun signs optional. I'm going to fail this already. There are multiple questions, so it's okay. Start with the oldest. Courtney. Correct. Okay. Two. Mm-hmm. Chloe. Oh, oh. It's not Chloe. Damn. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so. You didn't get that right. I mean, but I'm not surprised. It's Courtney, Kim, Chloe. <laughs> I have to say it in their voice. Rob, Kendall, Kyle. I feel mm. like I could have crushed it. Actually, when you said the question, I was like, it's going to be a Chloe Kim switch up yeah. Yeah, problem for me. They seem close in age, but it's actually Courtney and Kim who are one year apart. <laughs> Kim and Chloe are four years apart. Amina's weeping right now. No big deal. <laughs> question number two Kanye recently went after ex-girlfriend Amber Rose's ex-husband Wiz Khalifa when he misunderstood a tweet that read quote, hit this blank and become yourself. Mm. Fill in that blank. KK Khalifa Kush. (laughs) Yes. Alright. Three. Kourtney Kardashian has recently been making headlines for eating a candy bar in a weird way. Name that candy bar. Snickers. Unfortunately, it's Kit Kat, and I would have taken Reese's Pieces. <laughs> okay, I missed that. you got to tell me which I used any photos. That makes me feel better. Thank you. <laughs> Four, who did Kim Kardashian go to prom with? A, Kobe Bryant. B, O.J. Simpson's son, Justin Simpson. C, Ray J. D, T.J. Jackson. 
Oh my god. <laughs> I mean, I want it to be TJ Jackson. <laughs> I'm gonna say TJ Jackson. You are correct. Yes! It is TJ. There's an awesome photo online if you ever want to look it up. I'm happy that my wants are re- like intersecting with reality right now. <laughs> yeah. Five. Mm. Chris Jenner currently has five grandchildren. Please name two of them. Oh my god, Noreen Saint. Boom. Uh-huh. You killed this. You <laughs> earned that was, a tote bag. You know what? There were a few softballs in there, and I thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for that. Thank you for yes. letting me say that I actually won. I mean, that's who's <laughs> pleased. Mm. She's somewhere like dancing to a Justin Bieber song. She's yeah. gonna be drilling me on the Kardashian birth order. <laughs> She's like, we went over this. It's Kim and then Chloe. <laughs> Come on. Ugh. Oh. Well, you did great. Mm-hmm. Here's your tote bag. Thank Congratulations. you. Thank you. Oh, yes. So we end every episode with a song choice. We thought we would hand it over to you to pick the song of the week, what you can't stop listening to. What is that song? Mm. I mean, Rihanna work. Those of us who work too much, we really like it's maybe not the best message for me to hear <laughs> as I'm working too many hours, but it definitely meets me where I'm at. Yes. Work, 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 work. It's to me every work, 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 work. Thank you, Rihanna, for everything you do for us. Thank you, Rihanna. Also, pro tip, if you're ever having a tough day, Googling Rihanna on Yacht, a Google image search, will turn that around. That's where I go when I'm, like, having a tough day. I have a new screensaver thing. Thank you for that. There's a lot of options in there. <laughs> Rihanna on Yacht. Now you know. Mm. <laughs> Thanks so much for being on The Cooler. Thank you for having for me. Yes. Listeners, subscribe to Anne's newsletter and call your girlfriend and just be up on your Anne Freeman game with everything she writes constantly. Mm-hmm. There's pie in it for you. There's everything in it for you. Look it up. <laughs> <laughs>